Jeremy Corbyn needs to demonstrate publicly, unequivocally, his support for Jewish people and his unequivocal support for the Zionist state of Israel. Hello, and welcome to AJC Passport, brought to you by AJC, the diplomatic arm of the Jewish community. Each week, we'll chat with experts from around the world to help you better understand the week's headlines and what they all mean for Israel and the Jewish people. I'm your host, Sefi Kogan. Jeremy Corbyn won his first race for Britain's parliament in 1983. For most of the past 32 years, he's been a pretty minor voice, never holding a significant role in the UK's left-of-center Labour Party. But when the position of party leader opened up in 2015, Corbyn jumped into the race. He won that contest with the help of angry left-wing voters who felt their party had become too centrist, along with thousands of total newcomers to the party who registered just to vote for him. Maybe because Corbyn identifies as a democratic socialist and because he's also an older leader with a much younger base, he's been compared to Senator Bernie Sanders. Despite his progressive politics, Corbyn has some strange ideas for what counts as liberal. He spent years pushing for the release of two convicted Palestinian terrorists who had blown up car bombs outside two London buildings, the Israeli embassy and the headquarters of a Jewish charity. And Corbyn once referred to the terrorist groups Hezbollah and Hamas as friends. Just this month, we learned that Corbyn has been a member of two Facebook groups filled with anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. He denies that he ever saw any of these hateful posts. Since Corbyn took over, the Labour Party has been dealing with one anti-Semitism scandal after another. British Jewish support for the party has fallen sharply. We recently sat down with John Mann, a member of parliament from the Labour Party, and the chairman of the all-party parliamentary group against anti-Semitism. Let's have a listen to that conversation. John, it's good to have you with us. It's delightful to speak with you. From our side of the Atlantic, it looks like Jeremy Corbyn and his people have totally changed the Labour Party. We remember when Tony Blair led Labour as a center-left party. Now it seems like Labour is always flirting with the far left. Is, is this correct? And if so, where did this change come from? Well, there's an element of truth in that. And it comes from the general political moods around the world at the moment, where simple populism has replaced a lot of traditional politics. But these things cut in different directions in different ways. So, for example, Labour was the first political party in the world to adopt the definition on anti-Semitism of the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, which is something we've campaigned for for the last 10 years to get people to do. So often the change is in conflicting directions at the same time. So it's not a clear picture. It's quite a confusing picture. I think many Jews in Britain and beyond are worried that labor isn't just moving further left, if, if it is, but, but that many anti-Semites uh, are finding a home in the party. Where does that reputation come from? Well, we've seen an infiltration by anti-Semites into the Labour Party. Extremists who were previously outside have been joining and we've been methodically starting to get them removed. We've had some success in that, but we've a lot 
more to deal with because we're not talking large numbers of people, but those who've been on the fringes of politics have decided to enter into the Labour Party with their extremist agenda. And we're having to, one by one, the moment uh, we can demonstrate that they're an anti-Semite, get them removed. And that's a big job because, you know, while there aren't lots and lots of them, each one has a prodigious output on social media and each one we have to demonstrate and prove they're an anti-Semite. And so it's a lot of painstaking work. Can you go into that a bit more? What is the party doing? What are what are you doing in your leadership of the all-party parliamentary group against anti-Semitism? Uh, how are you um, helping to affect that change? Well, we're calling out the anti-Semites directly to their face in public uh, and through the disciplinary procedures of the Labour Party. And we have to do it one at a time. Each individual with natural justice has to be dealt with individually. So one of the uh, one of the leaders was expelled just over a week ago. One of the key figures. We're delighted to see that because that sends a very good signal out there. And of course, that's controversial amongst these extremists. But that's one major leading figure out. But there's many more of them, and uh, we need to get rid of more. We are getting rid of more. But you know, we're talking everyone from the extremist left with this anti-Semitic puerile agenda uh, has, on an organized basis, infiltrated into the Labour Party. Is there something about the Labour Party that makes it attractive for these people? Oh, they felt that uh, they had uh, an opportunity to propagate their demands, uh, demands on boycotting Israel and Israeli products, their so-called anti-Zionism, and the abuse that they've heaped on both Jewish activists and political leaders and the rest of us as well. And so we are brutally, brutally taking them on and beating them, beating them in the arguments, beating them in the organisation. And the difference is that that battles inside a political party than outside. Though history may prove that actually, despite the pain we're suffering at the moment in the Labour Party, The ability to tackle them inside the organisation gives us far more ability to challenge them directly because previously these people would hide outside on the fringes and try and spit on us from the outside. Well, now they're on the inside and we're able to deal with them and we are doing. John, just a moment ago, you said that these people espouse so-called anti-Zionism. Can you say a bit more about why it is that you call it so-called anti-Zionism? Because... They define it as anti-Zionism. I define it as anti-Semitism. They have a different value set. I think Zionism needs to be very accurately defined as the self-determination of Jewish people. And therefore, it's for Jewish people to define their future and to be Zionists, and not for anybody else to deny any Jewish person that right. And so uh, we're quite clear that these people are perpetrating anti-Semitism. And they like to use the language of anti-Zionism because that gives them a comfort blanket. But we're calling out anti-Semitism, racism, very directly for what it is. Two years ago, there was this really high-profile incident in which you uh, played a role 
where the Labour Party took action uh, against one of these anti-Semites and expelled uh, former London mayor Ken Livingston um, after he had said some really hateful things about the Holocaust, including that Hitler had supported uh, Zionism in the 1930s. You called for him to be kicked out. He ultimately was banned from the party for a period of time. Um, And that ban, I think, was set to expire in a month or so. And it was just renewed or extended. But there were some people who were saying, you know, maybe he served his time and he should be let back into the party. What do you think about Ken Livingston today? Well, I'm pleased that last week he was indefinitely, indefinitely suspended from the party, which is uh, quite a step forward. That's a better position than we've had before. Um, And I expect him to be permanently expelled and excluded. We don't need people like that inside any reasonable, mainstream, normal political party. His hatred, his extremism is beyond comprehension to any reasonable person. And that's why I challenged him personally, very directly, and called him out over what he said. His remarks are horrific. They're factually and historically inaccurate. His motivation needs to be called into question. You know, that kind of nastiness and abuse really has no place in any mainstream society. Uh, And it's right and proper that a man who was once the mayor of one of the biggest cities in the world is now a pariah in his own political party. Jewish voters in the UK have been pretty evenly split in recent elections between the Conservative Party and Labour. But with Corbyn leading the Labour Party, the percentage of Jews supporting Labour has fallen down to the low teens, maybe even the single digits. Does the party have a plan to win Jews back? Well, I have a plan, and the plan is very <laughs> straightforward. It starts, with, it starts with the man at the top. Jeremy Corbyn needs to demonstrate publicly, unequivocally, his support for... Jewish people, his support for Jewish causes, that's easy. But as well, his outright opposition to all forms of anti-Semitism, his action plan for dealing with it, both within the Labour Party, on the left, and in wider society, and his unequivocal support for the Zionist State of Israel. That's what he needs to do. He hasn't done it in those terms yet. The sooner he does it, the better. That's the only way uh, in which those lost votes will be brought back. And uh, it's a political imperative beyond votes in terms of what the raison d'etre, the reason of existence for the Labour Party is, from its very foundation, its very roots, that he does so as a top priority. And I'll keep calling on him to do so until he does. Stepping away from the realm of politics for just a moment and onto another battlefield, soccer or I suppose football in the UK and really across Europe has occasionally become an arena for some pretty disturbing anti-Semitism. I know that you are a sports fan. I'm a sports fan. And I was hoping that you could tell us a little bit uh, about this anti-Semitism problem and the work that you've been doing to fight it. Well, we're setting up a network of uh, football fans against anti-Semitism at the moment. And in doing so, we're getting people uh, from Germany, France, and across the United Kingdom. And you know, the huge problems, the problems in Italy with the disgraceful behavior in Rome, which got international headlines. The anti-Semites have seen popular culture and football 
as a vehicle for them to use. And it's vital uh, that football fights back against this. And there are good examples of very good practice in some football clubs. We're seeing, for example, one of our leading football clubs, Chelsea, who've just launched, with our full support and assistance, a major initiative of their own against anti-Semitism in their own club. That's the kind of exemplar we want to see, and we want to see spread across sport, because huge numbers of people wear the, the branding, the badge, the loyalty of their football club, and therefore we need to ensure that the, the anti-racists, the progressive forces in society, are leading in the way and making sure that football plays its role and squeezes out any racists who attempt to use the sport. John, what drives you as a non-Jewish member of parliament to stand up against anti-Semitism, not just in your area, not even just in your country, but really all over the world? One should always read history. And what we know from history is that the Jewish people have always been the canary in the cage for the rest of society. And that means, therefore, that the racists will always go for Jewish institutions, Jewish people, the Jewish state first. But then they will come at some stage for the rest of us. And we don't know when, we don't know how, but we know they'll come for my constituents at some stage as well. And so while my constituents may not fully understand their history, it is in their interests that I and others who are, by definition, elected political leaders, take a lead in the fight against anti-Semitism. And that's why we always will have to. So the Labour Party has problems, obviously, but it also has great, truly liberal leaders like you. What are the hopeful signs that we should be watching for, for the future of the party and the country? Oh, we'll win the battle. We will win the battle with the anti-Semites inside the Labour Party. Uh, That will happen. Uh, We'll drive them out. And in driving them out, we'll destroy any credibility that they have. And we'll destroy their confidence as well. You know, they've come in thinking they'll get victories. And they're beginning to realise that they're going to get losses and big losses. Can they imagine two or three years ago that their leading figures would be expelled as anti-Semites? That their uh, iconic leader, the former mayor of London, elected by 15 million people twice to that position, one of the leading politicians in the world, is indefinitely suspended from his own political party for anti-Semitism. And so we've a long way to go. We've a lot of battles to win. It won't all be easy. There will be knockbacks as well as victories. But we will prevail in this. And that is a message that people need to understand and need to spread. We are ceding no ground to the anti-Semites, and we will win. Well, we're happy to help you spread that message. John, thanks again for joining us. Take care. And to the AJC, thank you very much. In 2016, Taylor Force, a West Point grad and Army veteran, was touring Israel with his business school class from Vanderbilt University. As he walked along the promenade in Tel Aviv, he was stabbed to death 
by a Palestinian terrorist. Because the man who killed Taylor Force was shot and killed as police responded to the situation, this terrorist's family now gets a monthly cash payout from the Palestinian Authority. That's been a long-standing Palestinian policy. Critics call it pay to slay. American lawmakers have responded and introduced the Taylor Force Act. That bill, which could soon become law, would cut U.S. funding for the Palestinians to discourage these payments. Joining us now is AJC's Assistant Director for Political Outreach, Bell Yoeli, who helps spearhead AJC's work on Capitol Hill. Bell, thank you for being with us today. Steffi, thank you so much for having me. Tell us a bit more about this bill, the Taylor Force Act. What does it do? So the idea behind the Taylor Force Act is that there's a longstanding practice within the Palestinian government to essentially reward and pay terrorists after they've committed acts of violence against Israelis. This has been a longstanding practice. It's not new, but it's gotten a lot of attention in the past several years. And it got more attention when an American named Taylor Force, who is a U.S. Army veteran, was killed in a terrorist attack. And that really brought this issue to the forefront. The bill seeks to limit um, assistance to the Palestinians based on this practice. So that aid that the United States gives to the Palestinians should be limited as long as this practice continues. I think it would be helpful for us to understand a little bit about what funding looks like now. How much is the U.S. government giving to the Palestinian Authority currently, and what does that go to? So it's important to note that the U.S. government does not give any funds directly to the Palestinian Authority. There are funds that the United States gives to the Palestinians through USAID, which is our main body in the government that distributes aid internationally. This is not cutting off all U.S. aid to the Palestinians. What it does is cut off aid that is thought to directly benefit the Palestinian Authority. What that means is essentially pretty complicated, but that there is a State Department definition of funds that benefit directly the PA, and that's what is going to be limited by this bill. And there are a few exceptions to this, which are essentially several humanitarian projects. Um, one that is an East Jerusalem hospital network. Another is some money for wastewater treatment programs. And the third is vaccinations for children. Those will not be affected, but all other funds that are, come from the U.S. that are thought to directly benefit the Palestinian Authority will be withheld until the PA takes credible steps to limit this practice of essentially rewarding terrorists. Bell, is this a bipartisan bill or is this something that is being pushed by one particular party? So the bill is bipartisan. I think that both parties have different concerns and have expressed different concerns throughout the different iterations of the bill and the process that it's gone through. Republicans, particularly in the Senate, were very hesitant to give any exemptions to this funding process. So the three exemptions that I mentioned earlier, um, they didn't want them to be included. Democrats, on the other hand, very much wanted to see exemptions made for humanitarian aid. And they were also concerned about basically how long this would last and for how long the funds would be withheld. But in the end, they worked out a compromise both between Republicans and Democrats and the House and the Senate. And this final bill, which was released earlier this week, was essentially the final compromise that they thought would gain enough support from both parties. I think it's probably safe to say that the Palestinian government is no fan of this bill. But where does the Israeli government fall out? Are they cheerleading uh, this 
legislation or are they more reserved in how they react to it? We've seen different reactions from the Israeli government and different parts of the Israeli government at different times. I think just like the United States and many organizations that are supporting this bill, they agree with the idea. I think they have concerns about what the implementation will look like. We're still waiting to see exactly which programs would be affected. And naturally, they're concerned if funding is cut to certain programs, um, how will Israel have to pick up the slack and how will other countries have to pick up the slack? And the reality is there's still some ambiguity around all of these details. So again, I think it's general support for this practice, which obviously directly affects Israelis the most, who are, they have to see um, the terrorists who are committing acts against Israelis being rewarded. But they also recognize that this is a complicated situation. This conflict, of course, is complicated. And these funding aspects are just entirely more difficult to solve within all of these circumstances. If we turn off some of our aid, if the United States is supporting the Palestinian Authority less, does that give us less leverage over them in the future? I can't predict the future. I think it's a concern. Obviously, from the AJC perspective, we very much want the United States to be at the forefront, at the center of efforts to create Middle East peace. And we don't know exactly how this bill will affect that. And we don't know in the larger context of what's happening right now with the Middle East process and a potential plan um, where the United States stands in terms of making this peace process move forward. So I think the answer is we'll have to see. From our perspective, from AJC's perspective, we want to see this bill pass? Absolutely. It's gone through many iterations. I will say that when it was first introduced, the bill said that it would cut all aid to the Palestinians. That is not something that AJC was on board with, and we expressed that very clearly. And we've made recommendations um, to how the bill should be edited throughout this entire process. We are on board with this final result and, of course, are 100% behind the idea of the bill. We do, however, want to keep a close eye on how this will be implemented and what programs will be affected so that we can assure that the U.S. is being the most effective in its strategic allocation of aid to the Palestinians. Bell, we're speaking now at 3.42 p.m. on Thursday afternoon. I understand that we're pretty far along in the legislative process for this bill. Is there a chance that by the time people are listening to it, it could already have become law? Absolutely. The bill passed in the the omnibus bill, which this is the big spending bill that's been in the news lately. The Taylor Force Act got attached to that bill. So it actually, the version on the House side passed this morning, and it will likely pass this evening in the Senate or tomorrow, as both chambers are trying to avoid a government shutdown. Um, If it doesn't pass, that would be a big surprise, and it'll affect many more things beyond the Taylor Force Act. But I'm, I'm pretty confident at this point that it'll pass. All right. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, We should expect the Taylor Force Act to become law in the coming days or even hours. Bell, thank you so much for joining us and for helping to uh, elucidate this situation for our listeners. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Now it's time for our closing segment, Good for the Jews where each week I share one final thought about a recent development in the world and try to answer that age-old question. Is it good for the Jews? Air India. Good for the Jews? India's national carrier made history this week as it started offering direct service from New Delhi to Tel Aviv. This new airline route is expected to boost tourism and business ties between the two countries. And while it's great to know that India-Israel relations are at an all-time high, that 
might not even be the best part of the news. That's because these flights to Israel have permission to fly over Saudi Arabian airspace, ending a decades-long overfly ban. Air India Flight 139 touched down safely in Tel Aviv late Thursday afternoon after coming within just 37 miles of Riyadh, the Saudi capital. As Air India's Boeing Dreamliner soared over Saudi airspace on Thursday, our dreams, our hopes for peace briefly soared as we contemplated what this permission might mean for the future of Israel's relations with the Saudi kingdom. Warmer ties between Israel and the Arab states now, that truly would be good for the Jews. You can subscribe to AJC Passport on iTunes or on Stitcher. Follow us on SoundCloud or learn more at AJC.org passport. Send your comments and questions to passport at AJC.org. If you like this podcast, be sure to rate it and write a review to help more listeners find us. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Sefi Kogan. This episode is brought to you by AJC, the American Jewish Committee. Our producer is Alex Zeldin. Our sound engineer is Scott Reitherman. Tune in next week for another episode of AJC Passport.